Hi, I'm John Stevens. This is Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy. This is Pod Have Mercy. Well, we we were just talking about hope that you're taking care of yourself. I, I know mm. in this season, I can only imagine, I know as a pastor of a church, um, people are under a lot of trauma this past year, in addition to all the regular trauma that they have in their life. And when you're under that much grief and pain and trauma from all these other things that are going on in the world, you know, you don't always behave or respond in ways that are kind and gentle and so I can imagine with you being in a public profile position. I know, for example, uh, this week I, I had an email where I was I, a guy called me a charlatan, which I thought was yeah, yeah, which I thought was a word that went out of vogue in the 19th century. But um, he but also I, called you a scallywag too. A scallywag? No, he didn't call me a scallywag. But well, I, I, I mean, I, you know, when when I, I would imagine, you know, whenever you you. You, get, you probably get a lot of good things too, but you know how the negative things, they, they eat at you a yeah. lot more. How do you, yeah. how do you process that in your life when? Uh, um, you know, you can't take everything very seriously. You know, some of those things. And so, I mean, if I told you some of the stuff that I've gotten, um, I got a rock in the mail. Um, not like a little pebble, like I got a stone yeah. uh, in a padded envelope. Um, and, um, you know, I've been told that I've empowered the, you know, that I brought the powers of evil upon their church. And I thought, oh, I didn't realize I was that powerful. Um, <laughs> hey, Voldemort, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. would you step back a little from the church? <laughs> that I had in, invoked the powers of evil Inv- uh, on their yeah. church. Um, so, I mean, people say things and, you know, sometimes I wonder, my gosh, you didn't just say it, you put it in writing. Right. And it's like, oh, um, and so, you know, you just have to just realize maybe they were just having a really bad day. Um, and, you know, my, my tendencies want to respond and, you know, send the stone back with more scripture. But, you know, I, uh, that, that's just like that wouldn't help anything or anybody. And a lot of things that I get is just, you know, I am in receipt of your email dated March 23rd, 2021. Um, thank you for caring enough about the United Methodist Church uh, that you would take the time to to write. Um, and I, cause I think acknowledging what people are saying that they, most people just want to be heard. Uh, I don't, yeah, I think that's the, the main part, but I think just not trying to take it, uh, personally. Um, I do take it seriously because some of these are serious and I learn a lot even from, you know, some of the wild things that I get is obviously either we're not communicating properly or people are misunderstanding or they don't know the whole story. Um, so, you know, I, I try to respond, but I try to temper that just with the fact that whenever it has a bad day and um, I don't have to respond to everything, you know, that's the other thing is, you know, I know this is going to be public, but there's some things that are so ugly and mean. It's like, ugh, do they, you know, you have to balance, do they deserve a response? Um, but you just have to temper all of that. But, you know, here, I would say Louisiana. I mean, we're the South. John, you're from the you Georgia, sir. In the South, do you know what this is like? I always thought Texas is not the South. You know, that's my home, but Texas is not the South. Texas mm. is Texas. So people here are, you know, they're they are a little, you know, there's some steel magnolias around. They're giant, you know, gentler and kinder in, in many ways, uh, at least to your face. But um, you <laughs> Bless know, I've your heart. 
Yeah, bless your heart. But I've experienced that people here are genuinely kind. Uh, they really do have kind hearts. And then maybe that is being Southern, maybe that's cultural. But, um, and I'm also, you know, being uh, a Hispanic female, you know, in our house, talking loud, screaming and yelling and arguing and all of that, and then hugging each other and saying, you know, gee, I love you. Uh, that, that's just, that, that's how we work. You know, that's how we roll. And I'll never forget my husband, but first Thanksgiving, he came home with me and he was like, how do you people do this? And I said, what do you mean? How do you people do this? And he said, well, just argued and, you know, you disagreed and all that. And then you went around like, oh, yeah, okay, everybody's happy and hugging and kissing. And, and I'm like, well, this yeah. is so great. My wife is going to watch this. And this is going to answer so many questions for her. We're Hispanic. My family, and I never knew it. John Estevens. I never knew it. I'm sure other families that are not Hispanic do that, but culturally it's, yes. it's, it is, it is the way that, that the way. people uh, live and uh, it's okay. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to agree with everything that I say in order to love me. Um, and I hope that that's reciprocal. So I don't even know, where did we start that? We're, we just want, we just wander okay. all over the place. Okay. We, we don't, right. we, we, who knows where we end up is where we end up. It's just a journey. Yeah. It's a serendipitous uh -huh. journey. I, I was interested in what something you'd said earlier. We had uh, talked to Todd Bolsinger a few weeks ago about resilience. And mm. um, one of the things that he talked about there is something you'd mentioned in terms of like the, the future seems to be quite uncharted. We don't know what's unfolding, what's uh -huh. going to happen on uh -huh. multiple domains. And so that like the spiritual practices and our, you know, even the, our exercise, those kinds of things are these rhythms um, almost of life. You know, this is the, 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 the praying of the hours, you know, um, mm -hmm. in, in a sense that give us then that structure to face those days differently. And right. um, yeah, and it sounds like those are things that you really are talking about as well, those kind of structures that a family and faith and, and some of those spiritual dynamics so that we don't know what's, what's, what's going to unfold, but we can be open to the God that leads us into that unfolding. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've shared this in other places, but, um, one of my spiritual practices is every morning, uh, whether I come into the home office or the, the office office, um, downtown, I, my prayer is um, borrowed from Second Timothy, Timothy, give me a spirit time, come Holy Spirit, come, give me a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. Mm -hmm. And oh, by the way, I think I might need a little extra patience today and perseverance. And, um, and there are things that I don't even know that I need to stay, but you do. So come Holy Spirit, come. I mean, that is, and I light a candle. That is every morning. Wow of my life and um it really has given me it, it is a spiritual practice in many ways um but it's also it centers me for the day uh, that no matter what's going to come at me I, i'm i'm convinced that the spirit is here uh that i'm going to be surprised by the movement of the spirit probably you know at every turn this day and that i'm not sure i know what i need today um, but I am convinced that God knows what I need. And I, I think that that's also maybe th that is resilience, that's persistence of um, being somewhat nimble in what we do, uh, being purposeful in what we do. I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm very purposeful, maybe to a fault, 
on what I do. I, I make lists. I'm, this is what I'm going to get accomplished today. Um, and so to, to know that even though I'm very purposeful and I have my list, that uh, that isn't always the way it's going to go. Uh, and yet the spirit is still present no matter uh, where, uh, what direction we go. So it is just a sense of confidence and just rest in the knowledge that the spirit is with me. Um, and I, often I pick a hymn uh, for a season. Um, the hymn of promise has been my Lenten hymn. Um, you know, when it holds a mystery um, unrevealed until it sees in something God alone can see uh, that um, I can't see yet what God sees, but my prayer, every, you know, it's like, can I have superpower vision uh, to see what you see uh, that knowing that somewhere buried in this mess of stuff uh, that there is, there are flowers, there's, there's a bulb somewhere in here uh, that will bear fruit at some point and so surprise me today uh show me where the fruit is uh, give me those eyes to see uh, what i can't see that's and really hard these days this morning in our staff uh devotional and, and formation time i was sharing something that i'd gotten this morning every morning from richard Rohr in the uh, uh-huh. his center and it was about how the prophets always had this positive sense of how god was how the divine was at work in the world, even though they were battling against some very powerful negative things. So he uses Amos, for example, of how God speaks into justice and poverty and, and sort of the inequities. And yet Amos, you know, never was cynical or defeatist or, um, and mm-hmm. so even though the, the prophets speaking out the truth into the world, it always maintains a sense of positivity. And I think that's really hard for pastors and prophets and teachers and priests in in the days we live and i don't care what denomination you're in i mean i think it's just really hard it's harder now i've i've said i thought it was just because i moved to to houston but i think it's more than that i think ministry to me is exponentially more difficult in the last i would say seven years five to seven ten Mm -hmm. years than Mm -hmm. the first 20 years i was involved Mm -hmm. in it and I'm not mm-hmm. saying it was always easy, but I don't know about you how you feel, but it's something has changed. And I don't know if it's just the culture or the attitudes or maybe just the seasons. I don't know exactly what causes it, but it does feel like it's more difficult. There's there's a valley we're pushing through. Sometimes it's hard to stay positive. It is. I mean, and I, I do think it's it's our culture, culture wars, uh, all of the influences that we have around us. I mean, um, starting ministry without an internet, you know, and, and without a Google uh, to today where everybody's an expert, right? Because they have access to all of this information. Um, and I think we've made, uh, we've, we've lost, uh, as good as all of that is, we have lost the ability to connect with human beings yeah. at the very core. Um, and, and, and we see people not as people. I we I, I just I don't even know how to communicate that. But there are times that we don't see uh, we don't see the person. We don't we don't see deeply into a person's life. Uh, we, we you know just think about how we're talking here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean I know you're real because I know the two of you. 
but uh, you know, you're not a hologram. Yeah. And um, I think sometimes we, our actions are as if people are not real, therefore they have no feelings, no yeah. soul, or whatever it is. And, and and I just think that that's that's just that's lost on us. Mm. And you know, I, I love um, I have some friends from um, that are not necessarily churched people. Uh, they've been friends either through um, Dean's work or my previous life uh, in the corporate world. And I love hanging out with them because they don't really give a flying flip what I do for a living. <laughs> no, they just, they're just, they love me. Yeah. Uh, they love me and think that sometimes my work is just the craziest thing in the whole wide world. Uh, like, what do you mean you can't do that? Um, but um, the, the fact is that our relationships are based on so much more than my identity as, as pastor, as bishop. They really are yeah. my identity and being friend, Cynthia, uh, Dean's wife or Dean's spouse, Elizabeth's mother. Um, I just, I, you know, I, I, I miss so much of that uh, in this role because you, you have this identity and I'm really, there are times I just want to be Cynthia, you know? Um, but I also know that with this role comes great responsibility as pastor, you know, pastor, preacher, prophet. Um, hmm. And uh, so. What yeah. was it, Todd? Was it Todd Bolsinger that was telling us about the, the three relationships, yeah. the mentors? Everyone should have mentors mm -hmm. and you should have partners and you should have friends. And your, yeah. mentor, your mentors are the ones that In every you, season of your life. In every be, season yeah. of your life, right. you should have those three around you. And the mentors are the ones that you go to for advice, for sage counsel, mm -hmm. for wisdom, and they're pouring into you. Right. And then your partners are the people that you do your work with. They care more about the mission than they care. I mean, for them, the mission, both are important, mission and the person, but the mission is really more important. And a friend cares way less about the mission but way more about you. They don't really care about the mission. They care about you. And I think sometimes I've found in ministry yeah. that you'll have the mentors if you seek them out. You got plenty of partners. It's hard to have the friends the friend. that care more about you as a person and a human being, right. and they don't care about the church. Uh, I mean, it, and that sounds horrible when you say it that way. It doesn't mean they don't care. It's just like, that's not their the number one priority is how are you doing? That's right. You know, that's how right. are you? Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and. And I have that, you know, those people, and, and I have them for different reasons, if that makes sense. So I have mentors uh, for different, almost like different topics, <laughs> yeah. you know, and like, okay, so today I need somebody that's just going to call me on this stuff, you know, and I know who that person is. If I need to call somebody that's going to make me feel good, I know who that is. <laughs> and they're not always, you know, they're, they're different people. Yeah. Uh, and accountability is, is really important. But you know, I, I have, and that's really my friend that will just call me on it, you know, just plain, <laughs> say it plain. Um, and the others are much more guarded. Uh, but I, I have different people I call for different things. I do that professionally too. I mean, for the, the, um, the, not just the mentor stuff, but some technical things. So I know when to call Janice Huey. I know when to call Greg Jones. I know, I mean, there are people that, that, I, that are on my list depending on what it is that I need. And, and that's, 
that's super important um, because not everybody can do everything that you, I mean, they, you know, Bishop Janice Riggle Huey is a super power woman, but, um, and she can do a lot of things, but she can't, you know, she can't do everything. Uh, and so I really have different people that I call for different reasons uh, at different yeah. times. And I think when you get in a role as a pastor, particularly in a larger church, but especially at Bishop, people, people see you in a role, you're, you're less defined as an individual person. Um, right. I mean, even the bishops I've had that I've had relationships with, they're way more about the office or the role that right. they occupy than, you know, there, there's kind of like, there's this kind of wall there. There's it's a like, barrier. Yeah, there's like, there is. It, yeah. whether whether it's from you or from them or from just the nature of the relationship. Yeah. I don't know exactly what it yeah. is, but people, I think the same thing true when you're a pastor of a larger church, people identify you based on the role. Yeah. And they know you only through the sermon or through mm-hmm. the declaration. They don't know you like we're having this conversation now with you sharing things in your life. I, get, I, I bet the vast majority of the people that send you these letters, they don't know any of this stuff about you as a right. person, as a human being. Yeah. So well, I think that's know, a struggle. When I served at Memorial Drive, one of the, the gifts that I had in serving there is that I did have at the time, uh, you know, a, a a child in in school, um, and so my con- I had different connections with people. So, uh, like you, you know, the, the the line is very thin between church and Friday night football game at Tully Stadium. So, um, I always felt like I ought to pass pass the offering plate at Tully Stadium, <laughs> right? But but people knew me outside of the church, so they didn't just know me as. Reverend Harvey, they knew me as as Cynthia Harvey, or actually mostly Elizabeth Harvey's mother, and and that that actually was also quite good because I didn't my persona, uh, I didn't have to be something that was different. Um, I actually had one of her friends would call me if she came over to the house, she'd call me Mrs. Harvey. If she saw me at church, she'd call me Reverend Harvey. I mean, she made. You know, this is, you know, a five-year-old that would make that distinction. Um, So, you know, I just, I I really appreciated that I had that opportunity to to just be a mom, a wife uh, in those settings so that people just didn't see me in a pulpit with a preacher voice, um, that they knew me in in a different setting. You know, I'll tell you the other thing that surprises people all the time is that I have a preaching coach. And our pastors get kind of surprised. I think they were initially surprised when I said, you know, I, I have a preaching coach. Like bishops don't need preaching coaches, I guess. I don't know. And Alice McKenzie has been a, a go-to person for me for years and still is. Um, before I preach an Episcopal address, I, I run it through four or five people that will read uh, for me to say, you know, can you hear my voice? Does this make sense? Does this connect? Wow. Um, so I don't just Brilliant. like show up and do this. I actually have readers that will give me feedback and I really want the feedback. Mm. So I think that that's always kind of surprised people. Like, what do you mean you have a, what do you mean you have people who read your stuff before it's out there? And, uh, I'm like, well, she's just helped me figure out my problem. I don't have a preaching <laughs> coach. You don't have a preaching. Do you have readers? Do you have people that'll do readers do, do you have time to read for me every week matt <laughs> i would i mean if you don't finish your sermon until yeah, saturday, saturday night, night at midnight <laughs> i mean i'm not really sure on the way to this <laughs> on the way to the church 
really love is I have pastors that read just their, their constant readers mm-hmm. and um, they'll send me, you know, how you ought to read, you know, this book and that person. And, and I'm like, okay, I, I don't have time. So why don't you read the book? Give me a <laughs> summary. Just, a little summary of the it. Cliff notes. Or, or, you know, um, bishops, uh, thank God that there are bishops who can write. Um, I'm not one of those. And, um, when I first came into this office and, you know, the people, Cokesbury sends you books and a lot of them were like my colleagues. And like, I remember calling uh, a colleague saying, you know, I, I don't have time to read these books. I, I can't imagine writing. Uh, <laughs> right now. Um, last, but- la- last week we had uh, Adam Hamilton with us. And I just jokingly was like, you know, what are you doing today at your lake house writing another book? I mean, he's only written like 5,000. Uh-huh. I, I can't imagine pastoring a church like like Chapelwood. I mean, I'd have to take a sabbatical to write a book. Adam doesn't sleep, though. I don't well, know that's he, true. I, he doesn't sleep. So, yeah, he's funny. Uh, One time I was texting him. I said, well, hey, I need to talk to you about something or whatever. This is a while back. And he goes, yeah, he goes, well, can you talk tonight like at 11 p.m. I was like, dude, I'm going to be in bed at 11. <laughs> like calling you at 11. There's yeah. no way. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I'm just grateful that, that there are people who can write books. Uh, yeah. And I, I just have the feeling that if I wrote something, who would want to read anything that I wrote? You know, I, I don't have that sense that I have anything to say, yeah, maybe someday, but not yet. Um, so, but I'm glad that there are people who can do that. There was an old and, preacher in, in South Georgia um, his name was Ray Powell. And when he died, he was one, he was considered like one of the best preachers in South Georgia back in the day. And when he died, his wife, he was on his deathbed and his wife said, you know, Ray, when you die, I'm going to take all your sermons. I'm going to put them in a book. I'm going to publish this book to remember. He goes, don't you dare. He said, I've stolen every one of those sermons from somewhere. He said, it'd be a book full of plagiarism. But, uh, hey, talk to me about, let's shift gears a little bit. I mean, as you think about the churches uh, that you are over and you give leadership to, as we're starting to exit out of pandemic slowly, um, uh, and coming out, one of the things a lot of people have talked about, well, the church was already in a state of decline. There was already struggle mm-hmm. coming into this. This is exacerbated and sort of ratcheted up people being disconnected. How are the churches that you're in your conference uh, thinking in terms of what does ministry look like on the other side of the pandemic? Is it just returning back to normal as quickly as possible? Or are there new ways of beginning to think about how we live into the future? We've got to think of new ways to live into the future. Uh, first of all, what we were doing wasn't normal. <laughs> mm. I just remind people that all the time. Yeah. I don't know what about that we thought was normal, but it really wasn't normal. Um, and, you know, it's having to just really rethink. You know, I don't know about you, but, you know, church people aren't returning to church, at, you know, 100% capacity again. Yeah. Uh, and so what does it really mean in our future uh, to be the church? We've got buildings that we don't fill anymore. Uh, we've got a lot of investment in, in our in real estate. Uh, so what are we going to, what are we going to do with all those Sunday school rooms you can't fill on a Sunday or all the pews you don't fill? Uh, so we're, you know, I, I've talked to our congregational development people and transformation people about reimagining um, again, uh, what it does, what does it mean to be the church today? As an example, we had a church that was to launch 
um, about a month ago, um, about a month ago, about a year ago this month uh, in March, it was to launch that Sunday uh, that we shut everything down. Wow. That was their launch Sunday. Wow. And um, they've never launched a brick and mortar church. Uh, and they have really been experimenting with launching a virtual church. And so um, talk about reimagining this. Yeah. I mean, whatever, they've got people joining their small groups, their house churches uh, from all over the world uh, yeah. in this mid city church uh, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. But they never relaunch. So that they might someday, they may someday soon because they need place, a sense of place. But, you know, I think they've really rethought about what kind of church will they launch uh, now, given what we've learned uh, from the pandemic and what we've learned from um, online worship and connecting with our people online. We had a, we have a, a, a black church in, in Alexandria, Louisiana, and uh, the name of the church, and I'll just name it here, Newman, United Methodist Church in Alexandria. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they went to all virtual church, uh, there was a couple in like Portland, I think, somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. And their church was Newman United Methodist Church. And so on a Sunday morning, they Googled Newman United Methodist <laughs> Church because they knew that their Newman was having virtual church. And they clicked and they got into Tiffany Postel's church. Uh, at Newman United Methodist Church in Alexandria, Louisiana. So uh, for, I don't even know if this couple is still worshiping with them, but for a good part of the pandemic, this really wonderful um, white couple uh, worshiped at Newman United Methodist Church in Alexandria uh, because they enjoyed the worship with the, the pastor was dynamic and a great preacher. I mean, so those are the connections, I think. Like, what do we do with that now? Right. So maybe that couples back at their Newman United Methodist Church. And obviously, Tiffany's still doing worship at Newman in Alexandria. Um, I think they're still virtual. But, but so what do you do with that connection yes. that you made? And what did we learn from these things? You know, if we didn't learn something from these experiences, that's why I say returning back to normal or not be, it, it, we can't go back there. Uh, that would just be, you know, that, that, that wouldn't be productive. It'd be kind of silly for us to do that. Mm. But what have we learned that we can now leverage, you know, leverage what we're learning. I use that all the time. Leverage what you're learning to take the next faithful step. And what is that at Newman? What is that at Chapelwood? Yeah. What is that for the Louisiana Annual Conference? We're not doing transformation the way we were doing transformation work before. So what does it look like for us in the future? And, um, you know, I just, I I think this is a chance to recreate. The whole world's adapted, right? Uh, So why wouldn't the church adapt to something new? You know, how many people are really gonna go back like, like they used? They might go back inside a grocery store to shop, but most of us have learned how to get groceries a different way. Uh, and we're, you know, I don't know that we'll ever return to, in, to go to a grocery store like we did before the pandemic or online shopping or all those things that we did. Um, I just can't imagine that we wouldn't leverage what we've learned to do something really, really different. Mm-hmm. And 
I, I'll tell you, I'm admittedly this this church that launched virtually. I've had to have a lot of convincing um, that this is because that's not in my mind how you how you should do it, how we've done it. Um, so I've had to really really uh, open my mind uh, to like you know, will there ever be a, like a this was my will there ever be like a real church with a GCFA number? You know, that, those, because that's the institutional me, right? Um, and yeah, at the same time, I'm pretty excited about some of the experimentation that's gone on. Well, one, so, one of our campuses, of course, we say like, like everyone else on that week of March 15th, we stopped having in person. Of course, at Chapelwood, we've had in person since September. But um, one of our campuses, Upper Room in the Heights, has not returned mm-hmm. back. And, and they may not for a while their congregation's not ready so everything has been on virtual and we've seen more engagement from people all over the country as well yeah, yeah. I, I actually was reading sharing um you know a couple of letters that i got and one was a, a lady in georgia another guy was a, a different city in texas and they watch every week and they engage and so we've had to think in terms of external uh connections with people how do we right. not just have them observe but engage. Yeah. And so that the walls of the church are no longer just the neighborhood you're in. It's the city you're in, but it's the state and the man, it's around the world. It's crazy. And, and it really is. And there's a real community that happens in some of these places online. I was thinking about the Friday Bible study that I do. Oh, the one you do the hitchhiker. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, there's folks from two different countries and 12 different States that show up every Friday. And it's, it's like we we started a couple of weeks to talk about like wrapping things up <laughs> and folks were like, what? Like, no, we're not we're not wrapping things up, you know. And um, and so I said, well, it's worth a discussion. <laughs> uh, you know, do we want to continue this on? How does this go on? You know, but there's a sense in which these we've really created community in a deeply unexpected way. And it's become quite central to people. And so it's not as if we can wrap things up and kind of go, you know, it's become an essential part of people's lives. So trying to figure out then how, what does that mean going forward? You know, right. uh, how, how do we do that? So I, yeah, it's, it's uncharted, uncharted waters. Yeah. I think the other thing too, is people, like people like I, there was a couple of churches. I'm, I keep track of some people and they're like, okay, we're ready now to engage in a strategic planning process for the future. We're ready to engage in street. So we're doing the questionnaires and we're doing this and the, it's like the, the old strategic planning. And I'm sitting here and goes like anybody who thinks they can engage in some sort of concrete strategic vision plan. planning, you know, it's got to be around values. I think you can yeah. be value based as far as the kind of church that you want to be. But the, the world is changing at a pace that we cannot keep up with. Right. And so then the censors just living into it as it's going to be faithful to the values, faithful to the calling as it's almost like you're riding a wave. You don't control it. Well, that's why clarity of mission is so important. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Clarity of purpose. Uh, I've got these three things written down. Um, and Matt, a good friend of ours, you will recognize the, the language. Clarity of mission, flexible in strategy, and what does it mean to have a resilient organization? Uh, That's attributed to Bishop Janice Riggle Huey. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those are the, and I'm, you know, I keep it Mm -hmm. on a card right here um, on my uh, desk. Clarity of mission, flexible in strategy, and what does it mean to be a resilient organization? 
I think that that's what we need to be about. Because yes. I think if you if you put so much into you know if you concretize things, I mean, just think about even what we've learned over the last you know year is what you learned last week or what you learned last year is really almost no longer relevant today. You remember that whole conversation about online communion? You know, people made their decisions. Some did it, some didn't, whatever. Right. But we're not talking about that anymore. No. Or how are you going to text to give? How are you going to collect your offering? How are you going to register? Those That's like yesterday's news. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. What is that now for us? I mean, I had a New York Times reporter wanting some statement from the Council of Bishops. This was like last fall about online communion. And I literally, I mean, my, I think my quote in the New York Times was like, your question is so yesterday. I mean, it's like that, not that we solved it for all times and all forever, but mm-hmm. that that was like a question March. Uh, <laughs> and then how do we do Easter? And what about ashes? And, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But now we're into different new questions. So what are the new questions that we need to be asking ourselves? Uh, clarity of mission, flexible and strategy, and how do we remain a resilient organization? I think mm-hmm. those three questions will serve us well as we move into whatever is next, uh, whatever that looks like. Yeah, I like uh, the I like the resilience. There's some sense of a di- dynamism that has to exist in real time because they teach you in systems theory. It's like okay, you can learn a new opportunity. You know, you learn two ways through imitation mm-hmm. of models. Or, or trial and error, but you learn something new. And then you think, okay, we learned something new. Now we come through the pandemic, we've learned something. And then immediately what we want to do is we want to settle on that. All right, we want to, like you said, we want to concretize that. That's the new normal. That's the new way of being. And I think what the pandemic is going to teach us, if we're smart, is that even when you learn something new, the next day, the environment has changed again. And the next day it changes again. And the next day it changes again. And like I said before, the world is changing so fast that you almost can't, you can't sit anymore in one spot. You can't institutionalize something anymore. I think that's one of the reasons why our denomination is kind of struggling as I think of it from an organization or a systems uh, perspective is that we are so institutionalized. We are so concretized, codified and that, so much is changing that whenever we try to adapt, we're so limited by the constitution and by all these things in the church that we can't. And I really think that while the uh, human sexuality issue is the primary sort of dividing thing, I do think that one of the things of people who like are ready to be done with the United Methodist Church for some of it for them is like, you know, they do see the limitations of, oh, sorry, Siri. They do see some of the limitations of kind of how an institution gets locked in. And then it starts, it has its own identity. It feeds itself. It's like you can't control it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember in the beginning of the pandemic uh, when we were all trying to figure out what to do and the CDC would issue some something and then a few days later they'd change it. And, yeah. you know, you, you heard people come like, why, you know, what are they changing their mind again? Can they not make up their mind? What we need to do, wear a mask, not wear a mask, six feet, three feet. What is it? Mm-hmm. And, and what, what I learned, and I get that Johns Hopkins review every day is that, um, scientists learn something, they research, they learn something, something new, and then they make a, d- a decision. 
They continue the research. They don't stop the research. They continue the research. They learn something new that actually implicates or, or um, can modifies their previous decision. And then they make a different decision. Right. So right. It, imagine if we did that as a church is like, okay, I learned <laughs> this today and this is my learning. And so what that means is what I did yesterday really doesn't work now. And now I need to do something different. And it's not that I changed my mind. It's not that I don't know what I'm doing. It's none of that. It's that I can take what I've learned and what I'm calling it science here and, and adapt it for my next yes. decision. Yeah. And so, and that's, I think, John, the hard part right now, I will just say, given where we are as a church is the book of discipline was never written with a pandemic in mind. You know, it was written reflecting the U.S. system governance structure. Mm -hmm. uh, it's written that looks just like that and mirrors that. And that's not necessarily how the church works at its best. Yeah. And so we've got, you know, <laughs> people say, well, let's just do, we should just do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, well, you can but you know, paragraph blah 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 says this, and I, I, as a, a non-institutional kind of person, I, I hate that. But it is, you know, that's the lane that that we have to work in because otherwise, you're going to find yourself in really big trouble. But you know, I, I, and I look for all the possibilities. I try to turn every rock. Of you know, can we do it this way? Can we do it differently? What you know, how far can I push this? Um, but you know, we've got a structure in, in the United Methodist Church that doesn't allow for flexible strategy and, you know, and for an organization to really um, be resilient. I mean, it, it, that's what gets us stuck uh, so often. And yeah. it is, um, it's the it's the part of what I do today that that is, um, I realize that without structure, it's chaos. I, I get that. So I know you have to have a certain level of structure, but um, some days I feel like, you know, our hands are bound um, by our, some archaic ways of dealing with this. And uh, we're, we get stuck. Well, this is not new. The church has been codified, institutionalized, concretized for 2000 years. And, you know, there's certain ways that it, there's renewal that happens. And, you know, sometimes we've found that since, you know, 1000 AD, it's been through splits and schisms and separations, which I would love to see the church start actually start. Well, the United Methodist Church was born out of a union of churches, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is very unique, not in, in our history. Uh, you segued for us. And I think that, you know, while a lot of people who listen to our podcast probably don't know all the ins and outs of the United Methodist Church. There are other people that would be bitterly disappointed if I didn't ask you about stuff mm -hmm. in the United Methodist Church. So if you were going to give the stuff. New York stuff, stuff in the United Methodist Church. Yeah, well, Church. I mean, I'm trying to keep it G-rated, you know, I, I, I don't no, want no, the, I don't like want the E next stuff. to our podcast. Yeah. You know what it is, an E for explicit language. Um, but uh, let's just say the New York Times reporter calls you and you have to give like the two minute sort of explanation of where we find ourselves as United Methodist Church and what we're facing for, you know, even for people that may not be so steeped in, in our denomination, what's, what's, how do you tell people kind of where we are and what we're facing as a denomination? 
I think we're deeply divided as a denomination. And I don't think we're just deeply divided over homosexuality. Um, I think there are other things that divide us. Uh, unfortunately, we, um, we still live in a terrible history of racism. Uh, and it's not history, it's today. Um, and, you know, I live um, just a few miles away from the, the birthplace of the KKK. So, um, you know, I, it, it, racism runs rampant here. So uh, I think that there are uh, many things that divide us as a church. Uh, then, you know, and maybe this is naive, this is Pollyanna. I haven't given up on the fact that... Um, we can, in fact, um, be a big tent church. We've, we've been there before. Yeah. And, you know, so, um, you know, how many churches, do, does every United Methodist Church have a United Methodist men and, a, you know, all the, those things that are required in the discipline? No, they don't, because it may not be practical where you are. I wish, you know, but there are some things that have evolved over time uh, that have made those changes. So I, um, I, I, I think sometimes, and I'm, uh, I'm going to take a risk here. Um, go ahead. We got you back. We, um, some of the things that, that divide us are, I'm not sure, um, they're really what divides us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think yeah. that what we say divides us is really what divides us. Um, and so I, I really wonder, whether we need to look deeply at our spiritual practices, uh, who we say that we are. Um, And if you say that you are a child of God made in the image of God, um, can you actually say that that's not true for somebody else? I I just don't understand that, frankly. And so I think sometimes we use code words that might fit uh, for some folk. Um, but really at the, at the very depth of this, I wonder how much this is a spiritual issue, um, not an issue. Um, and, and I think that could be probably argued in both, on, in both ways for people. Um, but I, I do, I, I wonder how much of what divides us is really what divides us. I know that probably doesn't make any sense, but, um, and I think, you know, today we were talking about, um, Imagine No Malaria uh, campaign and some of the things that have united us as a church and um, that's so much more powerful than, than anything else. You know, I live in South Louisiana where, you know, we've been the beneficiaries of so much support after all of these hurricanes and disasters. Those are the things like, well, that's yeah. when we're at our best. That's when yeah. the connection is at its very best. Hmm. And uh, so I, I'm just not sold on, um, it, I signed the, the protocol uh, uh, for separation, and uh, remember, it was a, that was a negoti- that was negotiated. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think somewhere deep in my soul, I still long for a church that is open uh, to all, and I think that's what makes us better. That's what, in my opinion, I mean, that's why I came to the United Methodist Church because there was a place for me. And uh, I, I just really think that sometimes we, um, we might be fooling ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and what we name, what we name as the divide, the, the dividers uh, versus what unites us. And uh, as I said, and I, and I also realize that for some people, um, 
that can't stay in a church that will anywhere ever um, uh, perform a same gender wedding or ordain a an LGBTQ person. I, I'm, I'm I get that. Uh, so let's let's find a place where you can be you. <laughs> I can I can be me, and I can do me, and um, that. That is a place where your soul is fed. I mean, it's got to be torturous for people to be someplace where they don't want to be. And so how do you, you know, what do you do about that? And how do we give space? And in a way that um, we don't agree on some things, yet uh, there is a place and a space of grace that where people can be what they believe God has called them to be. And... Um, who God has called me to be might be very different than what John, Ste what God has called John Stevens or Matt Russell to be. Uh, and that's okay. That's okay. Um, we're still siblings, um, whether we like it or not, uh, we are. And I just, I really, I'm, I lament um, that we are at the place where we are. Amen. I really do. And uh, I guess I, I'm just maybe hopeful or faithful enough to believe that um, somewhere, as I said, my, my hymn of promise that somewhere, uh, in, there is a bulb uh, somewhere in here, buried deep into the, into the dirt, uh, that will bear that Japanese magnolia or that azalea. And, um, that's you or me. Unless that seed falls into the ground and dies, mm. it cannot bear much fruit. I think that was from, uh, Jesus. I think pretty, that's yeah. pretty smart, dude. Smart uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, you you and I have some similarities in the sense that uh, I've been it's been made it very well known that I I'm I'm a big fan of unity. I'm a big fan of keeping the body of Christ together. I think like there's a group that came up with this Christmas covenant, and when you see the language that they use from the African um, culture, from the Filipino culture, this sense of community, even though they're not all of, you know, in the same page together, that this is something that God has wired into the creation. And so when Jesus says, you know, I pray that they will be one as I and the father are one, and that's the model for them to love one another. And so I, I've always been a fan of unity, even though much like you signed your name on a protocol for separation, I participated with a group in Indianapolis, sort of a, mm -hmm. the predecessor to that. Uh, not because I wanted the church to split, but because we were in an impasse, just like right. you experienced. And we don't, we, you know, it's, we're not productive. We're not able. But I really do think if there was some way that we could find a way to remain together, have enough separation and enough respect and to honor that there are, that everyone's not on the same page. I really believe that the, the, yeah. that the center is very broad. Yeah. And one of the things that I have not appreciated by my brothers and sisters uh, who, you know, uh, on one side of the argument, is they have uh, co-opted certain words and redefined them, like orthodox. I'm orthodox. I, I claim to be myself. Evangelical. I, I'm, I'm evangelical. Traditionalist. I'm traditionalist, but I'm a compatibilist. Um, and so I have, I, you know, and I remember one person wrote one time, there is no such thing as a traditionalist compatibilist. Well, 
then that means I don't exist. You're talking S- to a, shit, a unicorn, <laughs> you know, and what I can tell you in the relationships with a lot of Methodists across the Southeast that I am friends with, that I know there are a lot of traditional compatibilists. There are a lot of traditionalists who don't want to see the church break apart. Uh, but like you said, they want to have a sense of mutual respect and honor on local church decisions uh, and they do believe that the church is stronger together than it is separated. Um, what do you what 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 do you see in your crystal ball? What's your vision? I mean, you're you're the president of the Council of Bishops of the United Methodist Church, so we all await to hear. Not, 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 I don't, you don't know what's going to happen, but what what would be yeah. your hoped for vision and dream? You shared a little bit of that already, but I mean, yeah. if you could if you could do it, what would it look like? If I, I could start it over, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. you know, yeah, mulligan here. Um, you know what I hope and what is real, um, there, it may be pretty far apart uh, at this point. Um, but, you know, what does the, um, the remaining, the I hate the post-separation UMC look like? You know, I hate that language. Um, hate's probably a strong word, but I don't like, I dislike um, that language. But I want to be in a church where um, literally it is a church for all God's children. Let me just describe this church for you because I've been in it. Um, There's a church in New Orleans. It's one of the closest churches we have to the French Quarter. It's uh, St. Mark's. And uh, when you go to St. Mark's, uh, if you get there early enough, there's still people sleeping on the sidewalk as you make your way to the church. Uh, and um, especially in the winter, it's a, a, a great place to be because it's warm inside the church for worship. Uh, you get inside for worship. Uh, we have a couple of these, um, like, uh, like this church, particularly in New Orleans. And uh, you are sitting in a church with um, a professor uh, from Dillard University, you're sitting with a, a physician from, you know, Oshner's or Tulane or whatever, and you're sitting there, they're sitting next to the homeless person that you just had to walk around because they were sleeping on the sidewalk. Um, church, um, you give the benediction, and there's there are people in the kitchen preparing a meal. Um, when we could do that, now it's like last lunches and they bring them out to those homeless people and they eat in the pews because there is no fellowship hall or anything like that in this church hmm. and um the first time i went there i um i stepped up to preach and i looked out and I, it's the only time i've had to turn around and get myself back together because i looked out and i thought oh my gosh Black, white, gay, straight, rich, poor, poor beyond poor, um, every every kind of human that I knew was sitting in this little church. And I had to turn around and get myself together. I mean, mm-hmm. I, 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 was, I, I, I was about to burst into, you know, like tears of that I could not, I would not have been able to get myself back on track. Um, and to me, that was a vision of what the church ought to be. And um, 
when we served lunch, it was communion. I don't care what you, I mean, it was, it was, it was sacramental in that, in that moment. Um, might not have been the sacrament, but it was sacramental in that moment. That's a church that I want to be a part of. And I believe that the United Methodist Church has the makings of everything it needs for a church such as that. That's the foundation of who we are as United Methodists, as Methodists. Um, when we talk about reaching to the poor, education, um, mission, uh, health care, those are the foundational parts of what it means to be a Wesleyan Methodist. And I, I am just maybe naive, faithful, crazy enough to believe that that's still a church that can still be the church for us. And um, so I described that church because it's for me, it's got a name because <laughs> I've, I've been it. I've been there. Um, and it's a little church. It, it's not huge. Um, and, you know, it, it's 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 what the church it's the kingdom right there in front of me. I could see it. I could smell it. I could touch it. Yeah. Uh, it was right in front of me. And I just long for that. I long for it. It reminds me of, in the Gospel of Matthew, it talks about when Jesus looked out on the on the crowds, he had compassion on them. He would say same thing. He looked out on all these people who had gathered around and he was moved with compassion for them, you know, moved in the bowels, moved in the in his yeah. spirit to feed them and heal them and you know, I mean, that's that yeah. to have that connection with the community, I think is powerful. It is, it was a, for me, it's among my most powerful moments I've had. Um, am I now going on nine years in Louisiana in the quadrinium? Wow. The dog, you know, it's called this the groundhog quadrinium, it's <laughs> the one that never ends. Um, but, um, you know, it, I would put that as a highlight um of my nine years here of being able to be in that church on that day That's so um, and to hand somebody a pair of socks and you know a sandwich um ah, man that that's like that's yeah that's jesus like stuff you know that's jesus like yeah. yeah that's like when we go out to the food pantry uh, mm -hmm. here at uh, fairhaven on the campus at fairhaven you know yeah. we're, we're getting close to three million pounds of food Wow. has been distributed to hundreds of thousands. Gosh, we're yeah. close to 600,000 yeah. people, yeah. 700,000 people. Over half a million. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. And that's that's what that's what a church like Chapwood's able to do because you have this sense of unity and you can work together in the community. Yeah. All right, well, I want to be faithful to your time um, and everything, but for uh, I would be remiss because there's probably some metho nerds that exist out there um, that know enough about stuff. So if you're not a metho nerd, you know, you can just check out now, but so we were supposed to have a general conference in 2020. Mm -hmm. We had this little thing called a pandemic. Mm -hmm. So it got moved to 2021 mm -hmm. and the pandemic decided it was not done with us. So now it's moved to 2022 and the Bishop said, we're going to have a special one day general conference on May 8th. And, you know, some people were happy and some people were not to like vote for these little, the way I understood it in layman's terms, some, some sort of perfunctory sort of administrative tidy up type resolutions just to keep us going for the next two years. Right. Mm -hmm. And then 
I think it was yesterday or the day before or whatever, we found out, okay, well, now y'all have canceled May 8th. So tell people who are paying attention to this, make some news, what what happened? <laughs> what, 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 what happened? What happened? Um, <laughs> you know, the, I, I'll just say, I'll, I'll say what I can. Say what you um, can, don't say what you can. Uh, and um, there, the timeline that we were pushing up against was was pretty aggressive, and it has been all along, and perhaps uh, much more aggressive than most Methodists are used to uh, moving. And I think that there's still uh, a lot of unanswered questions. There's some confusion about what the May 8th uh, special session was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and the you know, we've got to have more conversations in order to clear up some of the confusion. Uh, can you can you elect bishops um, before a general conference? Can you retire bishops? Can you know all of those questions that I think there's still some unanswered questions for people. And the confusion was great enough that it um, it caused us to to just. To, to stop where we were and really examine and answer the questions. When you realize people are asking you some really basic questions, I realize anyway that we weren't communicating as well as we should have. And so that's, that is why uh, for, we've got to have a lot more conversations with people, um, bringing people along to understand the why of the special session. And and it was confusing. People didn't understand that the special session was to have a quorum in order to suspend the rules, in order to be able to take a mail-in ballot. That was the reason for the special session. Not the special session was not, and the mail-in ballot would contain those 12 administrative items. Uh, But the special session itself was to gain a quorum so that we could get a we could gain a quorum, suspend the rules by two thirds, so that we could have a mail-in ballot, so that the 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 majority of the connection it was determined by a task force that that would be the believe it or not a technology task force paper made the ballot <laughs> to do a paper ballot because it would be the most uh, the way to include the most people was a justice issue, the most people across the connection. Yeah, because some people may not understand. It's not just United Methodists in the United States. I mean, you have millions and millions, five, six million Methodists around the world in Africa, Philippines, Eurasia, Europe. Right. Um, and so you don't have the same levels of technology and interaction everywhere. No, no. And, you know, uh, although sometimes I, I wonder about my own technology sitting here uh, in my office and sometimes I, I don't have stable Internet. But it, so it was really the way the most just way to do this. And I think we got confused. And so uh, when 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 there's this much uh, misunderstanding um confusion and some people got it some people clearly got it uh it it tells it 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 said to us we haven't we haven't answered all the questions we haven't communicated this properly and so that that's the why and Mm. a lot of conversation we spent you know four hours in a council meeting yesterday uh with just just this matter and um this was a decision that we made um now, with it comes some concept, you know, we're, we're 
we've got some consequences now to deal with. Uh, so without this, the general conference is not until August of 2022 and the jurisdictional conference will follow that. Um, the jurisdictional conference has to be set by the council of bishops. The date for the jurisdictional council, the regular jurisdictional conference has to be the same in all five jurisdictions in the United States. So, and the bishops set that, um, and that will be before us, uh, here soon. So, uh, that mm -hmm. means that we're where we are as of yesterday, we are where we were. Where we, we, were, we are where we were and will remain where we are until after the general conference in August. So, so, so these conversations about jurisdictions having jurisdictional conference, conferences, calling them, invoking them this summer of 21, is that like even something that can be done or no one even knows that yet? Well, you can't have a regular jurisdictional conference um, until there is a general conference. You can have a special jurisdictional conference, um, but you cannot elect bishops, nor can you um, retire bishops okay. at a special session, uh, unless uh, at a special session, and certainly not until there's a, a general conference. So you could meet, but you, you could have a memorial service honoring the bishops. That sure, sure, died. sure. But there, but there was sort of a, a movement of a foot by some things that have been put out about jurisdictions calling a conference this summer, 21, electing bishops, retiring bishops. It, it, I, I think you've seen some of that maybe, but uh, I didn't know if that was something that you could even do or not do. You cannot do that. Yeah. Okay. That just That's happened. That, you know, she yeah. just said, she that just, just said, yeah, just she said. just said it. It can't happen. What? No, that's I mean, that's definitive. You know, so when all he just things, said that just happened. That she just, just happened. said that. <laughs> it can't happen. I mean, and and, and you know, we, we'll turn over every rock. Uh, continue to try to find the you know uh, maybe a missing rock that that sure. we haven't seen yet. But um, it is not. It is not possible. And so what do you what do you do if we don't have a general conference? Let's say we delay it again for another two years to twenty four, and then <laughs> look at her face. Maybe we can do it to thirty six. And then and then uh, all of the bishops have retired. Right. Uh, we just become a Baptist Baptist then at that point. I guess I don't know. I'm kidding, well, joking. You know, but here's here is the way a bishop can retire. Just, just to, so the, for the metho nerds that need to know. Um, a bishop, you know how pastors can retire at interim. So if you decided, John, you were going to retire, you could retire the day after, you know, you could retire now and it would not, you don't have to wait till annual conference to retire. Oh, wow. You know, that's those, good to know. I might have. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much. <laughs> now the clergy session, obviously, you know, has to vote on your retirement, but you can retire anytime. Bishops cannot. The only time bishops can retire is at jurisdictional at a regular jurisdictional huh. conference. So the, the only two ways that you can retire, not at a jurisdictional conference, you can retire vocationally. So that means you can go do go to another job, another gig, or medically, you can retire for medical reasons. It's the only two reasons, and wow. those are good legitimate reasons, um, and we've got two examples right now. Bishop Bruce O, who was the Dakotas and Minnesota Bishop, 
Uh, he retired vocationally and is the executive secretary of the Council of Bishops. Sally Dick was the bishop in Northern Illinois. Uh, she actually retired early. She retired vocationally and she is the ecumenical officer for the council. But you don't have to, you don't even have to have that big, I mean, you could be the bishop in residence at Chapelwood United Methodist Church. Um, and you can do that. Um, so it, it, the discipline. So are you, you're looking for a job. Yeah. Hey, for a job. <laughs> hey, what a soft landing. Come on back home. Yeah. <laughs> right down the road. <laughs> but there are, you know, so those are the only two ways. Otherwise you have to wait till a jurisdictional conference. We need you where you're at. We don't want you coming home yet. No. We need you well, listen, I, we're storm. praying for you, and we I are. hope that everyone else is praying for we you. Are. Even folks Thank that you. may not agree with you all the time, I hope they keep you in, in their prayers. And I hope so, too. We, uh, we are, you know, no, no one drew this up. We didn't see any of this coming. And, you know, I, I think God puts you in the, in the place uh, for such a time as this. I, I believe that about Amen. myself. As far as some, there, there's a lot of days I can tell you, I wonder, man, I be selling insurance or used cars or something. Um, cause it's tough and I can only, I can't even begin to imagine in your role with all the other added stuff on top of that. Cause it's not just one congregation, it's all the congregations and all the bishops from around the world. So thank you so much for your time. And just thank know we, we love you and we're praying for you. All right. Thank yeah. you. All. Thank you. And uh, be safe and well and eat some lobster ravioli. Oh, no. Tonight, I think it's uh, green chicken enchiladas. Um, and, uh, and then I make the rice because I make my mother's rice. And it's, it's arroz like, ver verde. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, Amarillo. Amarillo. It's the nice. best rice you'll ever eat. I promise you. Are but, you um, are you an egg on top with your green enchiladas or no egg? No egg. All right. Wow. No. So that they're in. You know, I started them before I left. So. Oh, that's great. It'll, well, it'll be good. Bless you, and when you're over this way, let us know. Thank you so you much. Thank y'all. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. God, God bless. God's call calls people to these things. You need them. And she's she's good. She's able to. Spiritually hold herself and I and, I, and I can just tell you based on just knowing social media and knowing people that are out there and knowing the different oh. camps, man, there, there are people that, you know, just don't like her yeah. and they're on it sometimes different yeah. ends of the yeah. spectrum. I well, mean, you can't win in a position like that. And, and you may have been called a scallywag or whatever it was this week. Charlatan. Charlatan. But, uh. I have never thought about sending you a rock in the mail, but I may do that just for, you know, I thought that, that I actually thought that was pretty creative. It's yeah. like upon this rock, I build my church. Oh, I would I, have used it as a paper. I was going to say, I would have kept that and just said, must be doing something. right. What do you think? Some is going through someone's heads is someone's head that they put a rock in an envelope and mail it to you to a Bishop. Does that have like, is that like a mo mafia thing? I don't know. Now see, know. I've heard of people like, Taking a rock. You're a person. Oh, you're going to look it up, a charlatan? It says, a per no, go back to the definition. Because uh, it says, a person practicing quackery. Or other some quackery. Or well, some similar confidence, confidence trick, trick or, deception. or deception. In order to obtain money, fame, fame or, or other. other well, there, so there you go. So I'm not getting the money, the fame, or the other advantage. So I'm not really shyster, sure quack, or faker are the uh, um, A shyster. 
Shyster, quack, or faker? Interesting. Huh. A rock. So you let someone know they rock by sending them a rock in the mail. Send this to Cynthia. Yeah, she rocks. Need, that's in 2007. You can send that anywhere for $9.99. You can have it things you can send the through the mail. Send them a rock to let them know they you rock. You are my rock. You're a rock star. Now, see, I do remember they would take the rocks and they would tie a note around them like, Burn in hell I'm going to kill you yeah. and throw it through your window. Right. I to saw, mail someone. They're memes of the soil. Listen, that's that's going back to Footloose. You remember Footloose, <clears> the movie? <throat> rock through the window. Yeah. The rock said burn in hell. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, but this is different. Maybe this is, you're my. Well, I think we should do some research on. If you if people are out there, they, they should let us know what they I wonder if you could just put a, a couple stamps on a brick. On the rock, and put your. You know, I hey, didn't listen, think about I, that. Listen, How much folks, does that cost? Listen, to send I the just rock? want to say this. I think it'd be really interesting to see what can you send John Stevens in the mail. This is a new thing we're doing no. on our podcast. <laughs> I it's already, a new segment on what did John get in the mail this week, and we're gonna try to see listen, what we can send John wine, Stevens. If it's in the, wine, not send away. Yeah, well, I'm saying send him wine, but also can you send a brick with a couple stamps on a it? coconut? You'll never know. <laughs> a coconut to John Stevens. <laughs> oh, you don't even have to wrap a coconut. No. It's considered a self-contained. Yeah. All you got to do is put a stamp it's on it and stamp an address. And that address. is amazing. And John. You know what? We're going to send her a coconut. I th- a potato. I think we need to send John. All right, I we, think we, we need see to potatoes. be done. This is just, it's getting <laughs> too it's bad. A, I think in our new segment, what did Off John the rails get, with John. What did John get in the mail? <laughs> Well, I'm John Stevens. And I'm Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy.